Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast. This week's episode is hosted by a guest who is part of the Health Promotion Practice Journal family. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Journal of Health Promotion Practice's special series of podcasts on people, power, and photo voice, the little method that could change the world. My name's Robin Evans-Agnew, and I'm a co-editor of this special issue coming up totally focused on Photo Voice in January 2022. I'm so excited, you guys. For those of you new to Photo Voice, it's a participatory visual method where participants take and discuss photos on health promotion issues relevant to their lives and then act to change them through raising awareness, mitigation of the problems, or even transformation of the policies that oppress. That's really a big topic of why we're here today. In advance of the publication, we wanted to have you meet some of the folks behind this special issue with a brief opportunity to chat about their experiences with the method, the people they work with, and their thoughts about the roots and the frontiers of the application for this method in the world of health promotion. So now it's time for you to meet my amazing co-editor, the inimitable Bob Strack, who will be introducing our guest for today. I don't know about you, Rob, but I'm really excited this conversation with totally, these Totally, man. I'm so glad that Ryan Pettaway and Kathy Vaughn can join us. Ryan is on faculty over at Portland State in the School of Public Health there. He's described as the people's social epidemiologist. And he says something I can't agree with more. Our health is socially and politically determined and nothing like photo voice to bring that out. And I'm so excited to have Ryan with us kind of talking about his voice and the voice that he brings to the field. We also have Kathy Vaughn who's coming out from the University of Melbourne. And she's also doing a lot of women's and gendered health She's really the representative of Photo Voice and my understanding and kind of learning more about her in, in Asia and in the Pacific region. She's done a lot of work in various countries in the region. And we're so excited to have an international voice and somebody who's deeply thinking about this power of this method with populations. So I know we've got some things that we want to talk about with these folks. We're so excited you can join us today. Super. Thanks, Bob. And yeah, the title of today's podcast that I made up because we're doing this on the fly is Voice and Agency Against Social Oppression, Photo Voice and Critical Consciousness. When we were having editorial board meetings, we got to talking about critical consciousness. So this is my sort of first opening question. Welcome to both of you. I'll sort of lean over to Kathy and then we'll talk to Ryan. But Kathy, how do you interpret Freire's use of the word conscientisation, right? Which is critical consciousness, but in the context of your own work, how do you interpret that? Well, thank you very much for that introduction, both. And your Portuguese pronunciation is far better than mine, Robin. So <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with critical consciousness. For me, it's it, it really is about the dialogue. So Freire talks about you know education being a dialogical act of communication, and that conscience or critical consciousness comes about when people enter into dialogue with each other. And for me, dialogue is that two-way communication where each person brings their knowledge of a context or issue or situation together and jointly there's a co-construction of a new understanding of that situation. So in doing that, then you can become critically aware of why things are the way they, they are. So the critical consciousness is the end state, but the dialogical process for me is the, the kind of the tricky bit and the fascinating bit to watch when it's happening in front of your eyes, which happens in photo voice. Yeah, magic, isn't it? When you see that happening. Ryan, how about you? How does this critical conscious conscientization speak to you? Yeah, thanks. I think similar to, to what Kathy just said, I think it really starts with dialogue. 
and the possibility of being able to show that have dialogue. And I think it's important to make a distinction between having a conversation and having an argument and having dialogue. Those are different things, I think, in a technical sense, but also I think, a, you know, a conceptual sense, right? And I think dialogue is what's necessary for critical consciousness, right? That's really showing up out of love and an actual intent to, you know, co-construct and, and knowledge and to understand what's going on, right? So I think that that's definitely a core part of it. And, and also I think for me on a more general level, I think it's a, it's a process of sense-making um, and making sense of the world around us, right? Connecting the dots. I think that, you know, the distinction that Freud makes between like magical consciousness and naive consciousness versus critical consciousness, right? Is that we're all aware of the world in some level, right? And we're aware of our world. It's our understanding, it's our truth, it's our reality. We're living it, right? But we're so enmeshed in it. And without the opportunity to really have this dialogue and a step back from that, you know, I feel like sometimes maybe in our own lives, we're zoomed in on a few dots. We're unable to see the full picture and how the dots are connected, right? And for me, that's what critical consciousness is about, is really trying to create an opportunity for folks to step back, connect some dots through critical reflection. Reflection is really built upon each other, sharing their perspectives or whatever dots they're seeing, sharing that reflection with other folks that see their version of these dots, right? And I think that pulling that all together is really what I think about it, really. So it's really like a collective source, uh, sense-making process for me, at least that's how I've seen it, kind of approach it in my work. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just love yeah. that. Exactly. I mean, it's really about... It, we, each of you are describing this sort of dialogue, right? This conversation that occurs between partners in this development of this consciousness. And I hear undertones of power and the sharing of power and the invitation to power. So, I mean, some of it is that how do you see these people actualizing themselves through the process of photo voice and their ideas? For me, the, the issue of power is absolutely essential. And that, that dialogue Often I think when I read articles about photo voice or when I hear people talk about it, there's a big focus on dialogue within a group. So a group of young people or a group of women who've experienced violence or a group of people with disability, whatever it might be. And that those members of the group bring their dots, as Ryan beautifully described it, you're far more eloquent than I, you know, how they see their worlds together and share that experience. But, and I think that is really key that people learn so much from each other within a group, but the actualizing part and the shift I think comes when you also have people who are in positions of power, who come from a position of love, which is a, a great way of putting it, Ryan, but come with a willingness to listen and a willingness to recognise that they also only see some dots and are prepared to acknowledge that their knowledge is partial and that young people or women or people with disability or who, people who are living on the streets, whatever it might be, they have a knowledge that someone who's a local government official will never have. And so there's a willingness to recognise their knowledge and that there's a, a potential to jointly construct a new way of understanding based on different people's knowledge and that that's where the actualizing comes from for me. Well, that's, that's beautiful, right? I mean, that's, that's really the essence of it. It's, I mean, I love the idea that you're bringing in this empathetic love that's part of this process. I mean. Well, you, you hope it is. And I think this is where it comes with the challenge is that sometimes we assume that there'll be social change coming out of photo voice and assume that people will be willing to and, and have the capacity to engage in dialogue. But so many of the settings we work in are pretty anti-dialogical. And there's yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you've, talk, you've talked a lot about that, Kathy, but I'm, I, and, mm. and I'm sort of interested in, because you, you've talked about those safe spaces, right? And how actually the, the photo exhibition is not a safe space, right? But it's that point where that dialogue 
becomes actualized, right, inside this. I was fascinated by that. I'm wondering about, Ryan, when you're doing your work with youth who are taking photographs and then sort of mapping embodiment on their bodies using this technique you call x-ray mapping, how do the youth really respond to that? How are they transforming themselves inside that process? Because it, it, it seems like there's an opportunity for actualization in the spaces that you bring the youth into or, or, or the community members into. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I want to back up a little bit, and I think in, in doing so, it'll partially answer that question, and I'll speak to it more directly. But I think the point that Kathy just made about this idea of like folks coming to the picture with partial knowledge, right, situated knowledge, right, very much feminist and Black feminist notions from Haraway and, and Bell Hooks and others, that, you know, traditionally research as researchers in academic spaces, right, our, our epistemic frames really are anti-dialogical from the first part, <laughs> yeah. just by nature, right? They're and post-positive. <laughs> Right? Yeah. So it's one of these things where I think that, you know, when I first got into doing a photo voice, something I still haven't really resolved internally when I use the method is that, that this fascination and emphasis on the word that is research. Like, mm -hmm. why is it so important that we're oriented around this epistemic frame of research that we have to do something systematically, collect things to prove something? And photo voice for me is rooted in something that's a little bit different than that from an epistemic and a science standpoint, right? And so I don't think it's like completely not there but I do kind of like problematize that in some ways. And for me, what it really speaks to is like, how do we value knowledge? How do we value perspective? Knowing with, with the understanding that all knowledge is partial and situated and social and politically contingent produced and appraised, right? So for me, photo voice, when I use it, it's not really about trying to prove something or document something necessarily systematically. It's about like, here's an opportunity for me in my position of power and privilege as an academic person who does research and is funded to do this to actually open the space up in some capacity such that there are other ways to see and do and hear and feel and process things within our field. And so with the x-ray mapping, that's the intention of that by having photo voice and then mapping things out, but not just the images and the words, but folks to be able to articulate how they feel the spaces that yeah, they're in. Yeah. Because in public health, what we tend to do yeah. is take people's blood samples or saliva samples, and then we tell stories we'll about tell their you bodies. How you they, feel, right? <laughs> so for, exactly. And so for me, like I kind of see the x-ray mapping as pairing with photo voice in that capacity, because it's really just about, can we open this space up and allow folks to tell their own stories and hold their own space for whatever reasons, whatever purposes they feel is necessary, right? We always feel like it's necessary for research to systematically document things. I do not disagree with that as an epidemiologist, as a scholar, as a researcher, but I think that should not be the primary reason that we view the value that photo voice adds. It's not just because we can train folks to do their own research using this method. If we're leaning in it with that, with, with that frame, I think we're missing some of the actual value that I really do think that, you know, Ferry and Ellis have spoken to about the power of photo voice to shift power. Yeah, or, re or reclaim the concept of research as being static on a shelf. Reclaim the concept of research as being solution action oriented as something that's of needed service to our communities. I mean, there's that action element of photo voice that, you know, we have, Robin and I have this dialogue all the time about is photo voice, photo voice, if it doesn't result in some effort to have some systemic policy procedural change, or can it be just data collection? I think that's a core of what you're trying to get to. And I think that kind of going back to our initial thought about this, this Friarian concept of involving voice in the construction of a research question and the construction of, I don't, maybe I don't want to use the word research question based on what you just said, but a question of social importance. And then how do we create that knowledge? And then what does that result in? And so that sort of like resulting in is important. I think that yeah. in, in the actualization process, I think, is something that I would suggest, at least on some level, we don't need to have an outcome 
or a policy change or something to witness or feel that. And I think that we've had this conversation before, Kathy and others, that you can kind of see and perceive that type of like transformation or that type of awareness kind of happening as you go through uh, certain elements and stages of the process of going through photo It's just there. It's, it's, it's there. And I think that there's a body of research that does a pretty good job of trying to show that if you participate in photo voice, your self-efficacy goes up by 10% in your school, right? Those are important things to measure. But in the absence of those, that does not mean that something hasn't happened, right, in terms of power and self-actualization yeah. and agency. And I think that sometimes yeah. we get so rapidly able to prove something, this positivism, that sometimes we just need to be okay with not being able to say that there's a number on this. Yeah, I think about one of Kathy's papers with women who suffered from violence, and I think you shared that image with us of the blurry skyscrapers. Yeah. And, you know, it was a fave picture, but it's just like, you know, that critical consciousness of trauma, right? And being able to revisit a place that was so traumatizing for her to take that photograph. And you explain to sort of justify that in the text in a way that is, this isn't like a, a truth, a ground knowledge, a system change kind of a thing, but this is a growth in this person. This is... This is a, a tenuous link to resiliency. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a sort of reinvention of the, the truth, right? It's a new construction. It is. And, and for that particular woman, it's interesting that you brought her up. She actually was guest lecturing for me last week. And this is someone who is, you know, from a working class background, who's had a really tough life with lots of trauma from childhood right through to her adult life, who got involved in a photo voice process and that particular project actually did lead to some policy change and so on but for her that's a bit remote to her experience uh, as a, a woman who's who's lived with violence but what it did for her was give her the confidence that she could do things differently in future that she can talk to her own kids differently about relationships and so on and she's really you know I the photo voice can't claim credit for all the changes she's brought about in her own life, but it was sort of the first step in a whole lot of shifts that's led to her. She's, you know, she's flying now in terms of employment and, and the ability to articulately speak about an experience that lots of people will, will cannot understand and cannot fathom what she's been through. So yeah, she's a great example of them. It kind of goes back to the whole Freire centering, right? And yeah. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, and that and that and that word articulate, right? It kind of like that's that's connected to it. This has been a really helpful conversation. I want to give Ryan an opportunity to sort of close a little bit about where you see the future of critical consciousness work going with this work that you're doing with youth, with young people in Portland, which has been like a hot a hot place for everything in the United States right now in terms of dealing with oppressions. Two nights ago. Again, some amazing people rising up against a housing injustice that's going on there. What's the work ahead for Photo Voice and how do you see it kind of leading us to be able to fight oppression, but also have this critical consciousness happen? That's a great question. And I don't think I actually have an answer, but I have some thoughts. And so I think I'll share those. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, I think for me, and I think it's, this is why this topic is really like something I, I really care about. And I really like to engage in is that it really is at the end of the day, it's about shifting power. And if photo was going to be a part of that process, then, then, then it needs to be, you know, something that we have as an option available to us to move these conversations forward, right? Obviously, in a public health space, as myself as a scholar, and also you mentioned housing, like I grew up in public housing, and I did photo voice work in public housing in the same public housing community that I actually grew up in, not because I necessarily cared about any outcomes or health outcomes, 
but it was just the process of like, almost like emerging. I see photo waste in many ways, strategically and properly understood on some level as like a base building political consciousness, political educational process that is focused on health, but it doesn't necessarily need to be focused on health per se, right? And so mm -hmm. I think that photo voice for me isn't really even about the outcomes or the topic that's being researched. It's about the fact that we have now in some ways lended a credibility or legitimacy or validity to individuals or groups of individuals that for the most part and epistemically and procedurally in public health, they don't exist unless there's 10,000 of them in an anonymized study with an odds ratio on it, right? And yeah, photo voice yeah, for me right, is about, right, right. totally. about counter-narrative yes. and about reclaiming of our own stories and our own experiences, right? And so this idea that public health, especially as epi, is built on dispossession. We take data and we tell stories about the people who produced and gave us that data. We publish papers, we get credentials, we go to conferences, we get to be on podcasts, right? Photo voice for me is a way that we can actually counter that deliberately, whether or not we're actually focused on a specific outcome and measuring the change on it. And I think that the points that you made about what's going on, for example, in Portland, you know, I think there's certainly, and we can talk about this and be another podcast, there is a certain process of photo voice would be technically considered photo voice where it's just taking photos and, and having certain things happen, right? I think there's a lot of opportunities to actually, you know, connect photo voice to various realms of social political work, right? But I think we have to acknowledge that that's what it is. It's not public health work. It's social and political work. It's politics, right? Health is fundamentally political. And I think that if we are afraid to say that out loud, which most of us are, if we want to pretend that there's something neutral or apolitical or objective about anything we do as scholars, as human beings, I think we're on the wrong track. And I think that what Photo Voice allows us to do is just be a little bit more bold about being politicized and not feigning our neutrality within our work. That conversation's happening, no doubt about it. I think whether we want it or not, that conversation is on our doorsteps and we're moving towards it. It's moving towards us. And you're absolutely right. Public health is political. It has to be political. Social justice is political. You know? Thank you, Bob. That's great. <laughs> I think it's a great way to end this little segment. Ooh. You guys, this has been People Power and Photo Voice. Oh my gosh. Totally great. Thank you so much, Kathy and Ryan for being here. Just it's a small segment, but we packed a lot of power into it. Can't wait to see this special issue come out and looking forward to the future with both of you leading thanks for both your projects. Thanks for, thanks for your voice in this morass of what we're dealing with as a nation and world. So this is great to have you part of this conversation. Kathy, you told me a harrowing story about housing and COVID and the police coming to a particular housing complex and yeah. giving them only like a half hour to exit and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, Ryan's conversation about housing and place and, and the amount of oppression that's going on in there, that this is like, this is right on the edge of where we're at inside the United States right now. But I'm assuming there are similar oppressions occurring in, in Australia. Oh, yeah. But that was during the start of the hard lockdown in Melbourne that went yeah. for four months and people, they actually weren't given any, no half hour. As the press conference was happening, the buses of police were turning up to a particular Jeez. estate that's got such a history of over-policing and, and harassment and, you know, racial discrimination from police. So it was just the most heavy-handed, appalling response. And, yeah, it's interesting if you think about your point about public health versus kind of social and political change work. I think we have to kind of reclaim that public health should be about social and political change work. That's the origins yeah. of public health when you think mm -hmm. about, you know, 
cholera in London, it was about housing and water supply for the poor. It wasn't about um, counting things and publishing papers. So we, yeah, we have to reclaim what public health should be, I think. I mean, exactly. But here's the but. I think we've lost a little bit of the thread of the conversation. I think we've lost the connection with our humanity, are connected with, with each other. Mm. I think the opportunity for us to see each other as humans dealing with commonalities is being lost by us being put into us and them camps. You know, and so while it is political, I don't want it to be an us and them political. I want it to be an all of yeah. us involved political. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, and I think that gets back to story. And I think photo voice is the perfect vehicle for story that needs to be amplified to make the data that Brian was referring to earlier more salient. I mean, Brian, you talked about validity, but I think the validity is there. It's just shining a light on that validity. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's a, and again, I think that these are things that like, I have not really resolved these internally myself in terms of like how I really land on the bit, you know, the, the entirety, if there's such a thing of like knowledge production processes, right? But I do think that there's, there's no point or purpose of, for me of knowledge if it's not being used to like affirmatively further humanity collectively, right? There's something about knowing for knowing's sake or just having something documented or being able to count it that, yeah, will benefit from that personally. And that's traditionally what, you know, data and, and things have been, have been used for amongst other things. But it's not like we're passing policies based on having data. That's not how policy works, right? And so when I say that it's political, it's, it's like capital P and lowercase p, right? And the point you made about we don't want to be political, uh, like a divisive political, and I think that that's, I think we all agree on that. But there's an element of the thread of within public health where folks aren't even willing to, to say what you just said there, is that health is political, it's always going to be political because it's about housing, it's about tax policies, it's about zoning, Resources. it's about land use, it's about... Community. It's about all this case law that's going to be challenged regarding like abortion and therefore that is policy and political. And then there's the lowercase p political where folks have ideologies that they're trying to use the political and economic apparatus to control. Right. That right. second piece that public health folks don't want to talk about as if we're just living in this apolitical vacuum. And I think that that's where we run into issues. And so like this idea of validity, I think is really important because you're right. People have it. We live it. All of us on this call right now and everyone I work with in our communities, they live it. We've never created a space for them to actually show up and be validated in. Right. And I think that that's what Photo Voice has the possibility to do. And it could actually serve. And I think as you were getting to it, serve as a way to dehumanize the lowercase p politics that are happening, right? If we can actually allow folks to share themselves and in a capacity that really reveals more about the way they're seeing the world and approaching the world, maybe we can get a hint into where parts of our humanity are getting lost along the way, right? Beautiful. Yeah. I think about the co-construction of reality, right? If we are to accept that, right, then a lot of the photo voice work that just does a representation of reality is ineffectual, right? The, the actual act of talking to co-construct it. And, and with kids, they'll co-construct it three or four or five times in one session, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they'll like talk about it. They'll put another title on the taste. They'll say, no, that's not it. They'll like mix it up. They'll come up with a new kind of construction. It'll be phenomenological once. It'll be grounded theory the next time. It'll be something else, right? It'll have these kinds of different sorts of webs and weavings of understanding reality. If the photograph can do that, one of the illusions of the photograph is that it's sort of fixed in time, right? But it's not really fixed in time. It's fixed in this translational space that is the place for a meeting of dialogue, right? So Republicans and Democrats 
could probably talk about a photograph, right? Guys, With can we cash. just talk about a photograph, right? Can we just have <laughs> that kind of conversation? So I hear, and on the international sphere, Kathy, because you're doing this World Health Organization, women, stuff, violence, women, is, is there a room for kind of having photography be a part of that? Do you have a sort of an idea that that would be something on the international sphere that you could do between nations or other things? Or are you like, is it has to be apolitical? How do you weave the two together with that? Uh, so the UN system obviously is inherently political, but um, trying to do that kind of work with big multilateral agencies, I think is challenging where what they're looking for is numerical data. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it with the people you're working with in a particular place. And I think there's a, a need for that as well. And if it comes to actually bringing about change, it is the stories that bring about change. It, that's what gets people the, the affective impact of photo voice, I think, is, is where its go. power sits. And just going back to, you know, Ryan's point about counter-narratives is in places in you know parts of Asia where we've used photo voice alongside other methods, it's the ability for people to see a counter-narrative that's missing, that they won't get from large national prevalence surveys and so on. There's a real opportunity to communicate a different reality. But I think that universities and big institutions that are based on kind of big data we reward academics, we reward researchers on, on the final word and the positive, you know, the, like I am the expert in X in this place and, and you know, I, I, I'm the person who you should go to, to talk to about this rather than the person whose life it is. So it's stealing, right. you know, it's stealing the stories, as Ryan said. And so yeah. I think there's a real opportunity to not only not steal the stories but allow the stories to unfold over time because, of course, people surprise you all the time that you know you see them as a young person living in crappy housing with all sorts of health disadvantage when they're 20 and when they're 40 they've become you know a public advocate or a lawyer so yeah. nothing that could be predicted from where the expert had landed them based on their kind of mm -hmm. epidemiological risk factors so I think mm -hmm. that that photo voice is a really valuable tool around counter narrative and people owning their own stories in ways that can affect these big institutions. This is hearkening directly to the conversation with Ed Mamory in San Francisco, where it was a counter narrative to 9-11 and the anti-Muslim sentiments in America. Mm -hmm. And there was a deliberative effort to have space for this claiming of space of this voice and this normative readjustment of uh, counter narrative to the current sentiment that was going on after 9 11. It was a it was a beautiful, powerful example of your exact point. It's a small stories. So it's the small data. Ryan, you have a quote somewhere in some of your papers around small data, or, or you have a, like a, a nice pithy argument about small data. But how does that how does that work with your administration, with your academic institutions? Because sometimes it's hard. Like, oh, I want to go for up for a research award. I deal in small data. And they go, oh, really? Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the small data framework, that comes from information, like ICT, information communication technologies, or information sciences. And it's, it's not too dissimilar from, if you're familiar with popular epi, popular epidemiology mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. citizen science, things of that nature, that it's, it's not the, that it's like only a, a small amount of data necessarily, but it's people. 
that are doing it yeah. and building it from the ground. That it's like it's really focused on daily life, right? And so this idea of small data, I think for photo voice, photo voice is definitely fit within the category of small data, right? Especially if you start doing things like GIS and mapping and doing other things along with you know multi-method process with photo voice. But that's really what it's about. And I think that for me, at least like when I've written about it. I've always connected it with this notion of liberation technology and deliberation technology. These, these other notions from the field of ICT is that we can use technology in ways that are liberating. And if they're not liberating in the sense of like overthrowing, like, you know, dictators, which they have been, that's where the field comes from, right? It's like the, the Arab Spring and things of that nature, right? How you can use social media for actual liberation. But then there's also just like the, the soft liberation, right? Like liberation from like being excluded from urban planning processes, right? You can use technology in that sense, right? And I think that's where like you could map on and also the deliberation part where you can use technology to mediate, facilitate dialogue and deliberation. And I think that that's where I can see Photovoid plugging into that, that notion of small data is that ultimately that's what it's about, right? You yeah. know, I think that a lot of times we want to, and we need to, I should say, to have these multinational robust like statistical things for certain things, right? To find out if a drug works, to find out some other things, the overall effects of air pollution. We got to have dispersion models that account for different things, right? But when you're talking about social and political processes, there's no one size fits all. So for me, I've never understood why we're so keen on showing how redlining affects like birth outcomes in like 127 different cities, because there's, there's no solution for redlining. It already happened. What are we doing about housing policy in each of those cities right now, right? We need yeah. stories and data about specific housing policies in those cities and in counties and regions. We don't need to see what's going on in the 37 jurisdictions that are 1,500 miles away, right? And I think that that's where Photo Voice represents an, an, a great counterpoint and counter-narrative opportunity to, to center and to ground things and to, to organize and really build power around. So, and I would definitely consider that small data, for sure. You're, you're like hitting, I mean, I'm, I'm holding on to some of the things you said because it's making me think differently, which is exactly what we want to do for each other, right? And the one thing that when I, when I listen to you and I think about you know, sort of surveillance for surveillance sake, which is probably what I hear you saying is, you know, sort of that asset deficit model and the opportunity to look at what are the things that are wrong, which is typically what we'll do, but what are the things that are right? And oftentimes, you know, I've written photo voice articles that are deficit based. We all have worked on those. We've also done some that are asset based. Do you see an opportunity in this political conversation? Let's take the redlining example or the housing example. Is there an opportunity for using photo voice for the asset end of the political and public health line of thinking? I definitely do. And I think I attempted and I failed. I will say that unapologetically. And my, one of my last papers on the, the intergenerational one, mm-hmm. uh, public housing, one of the intentions with that was to do the photo voice thing, to map things out, and then to unpack the, the causes behind the photos. And so if someone took a photo of a vacant lot the intention was to unpack every city planning and governance decision that led to that lot being vacant for so long, right? And I think that that's kind of where you could imagine this assets approach being kind of coupled with the deficits approach and that you can unpack every photo and trace back that causal web for the things that are causing the negative things. And then you can also have a photo of the positive thing and trace back the causal web of what made that thing possible. Right. And then that's where you put your time and your energy, right? And I think I have not seen a photo voice project like do that. That's just a photo. And, and, and Robin, you made this point. It's like static, but it's not really static. There's an image. There's, one of the examples I had in Baltimore was someone took a photo of a gas station that was abandoned and they used to serve food and there were a couple shooting in the parking lot, whatever like that. And basically the youth were like, well, let's, let's do some of these photos. And I was working with an artist at Maryland Institute of Community Art. I think it's called Micah. And we came up with this idea to put their favorite photos. So they would choose one of their favorite photos and we put them on postcards. 
and we pass them out in the community, right? Like this is like images of your community. You write a letter and send it to your city council member type thing, right? That's what we did with the photos. And three or four months afterwards, that gas station was gone, right? Now we can't claim credit for that, but the idea was there's a way in which we could actually use photo voice to, to, to identify these deficits which we're really good at in public health, but there's no point of identifying the deficits if we're not gonna track back the causal mechanisms and, and disrupt the ones that are allowing it to continue. And similarly, if there's a positive thing that's identified a photo, there's no point of having this positive thing here and cherishing it and lifting up and using an example of like resilience and assets if we're not gonna figure out how to replicate that. So tracing back the causal mechanisms that produce the positive asset and figure out how we can create that opportunity where there might've been a negative one, right? And so I think there's that's a lot of damn, That's damn difficult to do though, isn't it, right? Because that's the structure, you're, you're getting into the structure. Kathy, you had, a, you had a photo of the trash heap in the middle of the village and, and the kid actually confronted or talked to the participant, actually got a chance to talk to the council person or the, the, the elder or the, someone who was responsible for that trash heap or something else like that, right? But that's, that's a way to kind of untangle the web and have the story be right there at the intersection of this structural inequity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good example where change was possible by bringing the person who actually had the power to fix that horrendous mess Thank together you. with their kids. Who it's a great photo, by the way. It's like just <laughs> pouring out. It's, it's like there's still it. trash can and then there's like trash all around it. And people are like, what are we doing? We haven't even got a village square anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to communicate the smell through the photo, but oh my you can gosh. imagine. So that did get fixed. Whereas this was another photo that a young woman took of a dispensary, like the pharmacy in her local hospital. So she was a young person who was a volunteer on a HIV prevention program. And her job was really to try and get kids to turn up and, and encourage them to get tested for HIV. But her point was, it's ridiculous. There's no treatment available. There's no, you know, there's not even basic antibiotics. Why would we do that? Because then we're exposed to all the stigma and discrimination that arises. And so she sort of talked her way into the hospital dispensary and took a photo of just these empty shelves. It's an incredibly oh, powerful wow. photo because she's like, stop telling us it's about young people not taking responsibility and not getting tested for HIV this is why, you know, you guys are in a position of power to fix this and do something about it. But I think that's where it then ended up into the kind of Byzantine public service end of things and, you know, lots of finger pointing and who's responsible and so on. But it was powerful in making sure that the responsibility is not laid at the feet of the people who've got the least power to change it. Yeah. You can't expect kids in the highlands of Papua New Guinea to sort out the cold chain. <laughs> and that's where the, you know, that's we were talking earlier about this, this Freerian concept, yeah. right? It's not a one party or another party. It's this collaboration that occurs. Yeah. And, and in some ways, I mean, you know, Ryan, you talked about researchers and this kind of concept of photo voice being a research thing. And we've been talking about community, but in many ways, what we're talking about is, bigger C community where we involve the facilitation of power or the negotiation of power, or the networks that we all have or, or need to build both from our side, but also from our community partner side. And I loved what you just said, because I think it gets lost a lot, creating the space for people who can make change happen to interact with the thing, the validity and the voice. And you know, we, we always are reviewing articles, I know you do too, where it's sort of photo voice project, but it's a nice little art project because it just stays within the realm of the people doing the thing. And that's really not 
where the power comes from. It's that sharing and creating that space for that sharing is so critical. And your, your story is a perfect part of that. So that's the bigger part of the free area and consciousness raising that has to be embraced by those who take on this method. Yeah, it's like you get to transform the reality, right? It's not enough to just document it and, and make sense out of why your reality is reality. It's like transforming it. And I think that, Kathy, the point you made about, you know, some of those things being actionable and, and you know, because I should do something about that. I think it's so true. And it, and it makes me wonder if it's almost just not even responsible ethically, morally, or whatever to do a photo voice project if it's not, if you're not collaborating with a community organization that is about power, oh, um, base building. Mm, and yeah. I think that, you know, for me, like, I think I mentioned one of our earlier conversations that for me, I see photo voice as like the entree into like community organizing, right? To build community is a community building process. It's a base building process. And it's also a political education, critical conscience process, right? And maybe it's me something for photo voice. If we really care about this other thing, then maybe you don't do photo voice unless you're actually doing it with a community partner that is civically and politically engaged, right? So you don't do a photo voice on like affordable housing if you're not dealing with a housing organization that's out there networking, going door to door, making phone calls, right? Because in what world do we live in as academics that we think we can do a photo voice project on affordable housing, put it in health in place, and then affordable housing, like it's just- Magically it will happen because everybody <laughs> reads health in place. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So well, I do. You guys, we, we are close to the end. I just, it's just, there's so many connections. It's so great to have you both on this special editorial board. Yes. You bring your freshness and energy. Kathy, incidentally, for those of you who don't know, sort of pushed us to become more international. So we've got a great co-editor, Morten Skovdal from Denmark, joining us as well. So we'll hopefully hear from him sometime. Ryan, it's just super, super, even though you're my neighbor, just two hours to the south. We've <laughs> never actually met each other, but on Zoom, but it's just been fantastic. Yeah, Thank you again, Kathy. Thanks for helping us think about actualization and these different ways that we have. It's the, the Photo Voice Act doesn't have to just occur in one particular moment, but in many moments. It could be handing out postcards of a photo. It can be meeting with a council person and viewing stinky garbage or taking pictures of empty shelves. So, and Bob, as ever, brilliant. Thank you so much for getting this conversation going. It's a wrap, folks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode from the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know. You can find more from us on our website, social media, Sophie, and Sage. And you can find all of these links in the podcast description. Take care.